You may take your seat here this morning. I'm glad that you made it. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time being at Emmanuel, my name is Irving Peralta. I'm part of the pastoral team. There's a uh, there's several couple of us that have been uh, given the great opportunity to to work alongside our senior pastors and to bring the message, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our message hasn't changed, and it will not change. It will continue forever to be focused on the word. If you've just joined us a couple of months ago, we we started this new, uh, um, uh, I would say it's not new because it's been gone for, it's been done before, but uh, instead of doing a three-point sermon on, on this or that or, or how you can, you know, be a better this, be a better that, what we wanted just to focus is on God's Word, which is enough. God's Word is enough. How many of you say amen to that? God's Word is enough. Plain and simple. God's Word is enough. So we started last year. We, we've done things. Pastor Belino has probably done more so than us. He, he is an expert at taking the chapter and just 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 squeezing the juice, as I always say, out of every phrase. I'll never forget Pastor Lily, as we were going through this, she would mention when you read when you study God's word, you literally go word by word, phrase by phrase. Even the commas and the periods and the exclamation marks, everything is for a purpose and for a reason. And when you do so, you spent months just in the same book, just like we spent almost a year, a full year on the book of Acts, which has 28 chapters, and we are chapter 29 that God's still writing. So now we're in the book of Galatians. Now, as a teacher, the, uh, every time I get opportunity, I'm just in teacher mode. And so uh, every time I start a new lesson with my kids, I always start with an objective. Like I want them to know why we are doing this. I want them to know the purpose and the reason why. And so if I may give you the purpose and the reason and the big idea, I call it the big idea for the book of Galatians, is just to go back to the real gospel. Uh, Paul's goal was for the Galatian, uh, uh, the, the churches around the, the region of Galatia, was for them to not lose their focus. As a matter of fact, it was for them to regain their focus back on the gospel. Because he noticed, I mean, he began the chapter by saying, Oh, foolish Galatians, how quickly are you? He said, I am amazed. I am amazed in the first chapter one. I'm amazed how quickly you have already moved away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was this whole reason and purpose for the, for the book of Galatians. So he clears things up. As a matter of fact, maybe even some of our conversations that we had here on Sunday mornings have brought some questions that you have. It's probably maybe even, even kind of question what you originally believed about the gospel or the way that you live. Because if you were like me, I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, a Christian home that, where, where my mom was a, a Bible praying, and she still is. Uh, and, and there are a lot of things that, that, that we've learned from as I was, uh, I was growing up. And, and now I'm looking at it through the lens of what Paul is teaching in the book of Galatians. And, and I am confirming some things that, that I've been taught in the past. But I'm also kind of starting to have, an, have a conversation about some of the things that Paul here is clearing up. And today I want us to go through chapter 3 
verse 10 and 14, if we get a chance to do all the, all the verses, we will. But uh, I want us just to dissect what Paul is talking about here in chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, as he goes through that, having the same conversation about how it is this deep conversation about the difference between living under the law. Everybody say with me, the law. And then living under grace. Everybody say grace. Living under the law and living under grace. And Paul uses the Old Testament to prove his point. Now, again, this is a deep conversation that I want us to have here this morning. But that's why I encourage all of you to be a part of a life group where you can ask the questions where you can have a deeper, even more deeper conversation. Uh, there are many times where us as pastors, we, we text each other and we say, man, I should have said this. Man, I forgot to mention this. And you know what? I, I, I would love for, 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 uh, for this conversation to continue outside of just a Sunday morning for us to talk about what does it mean to live under the grace of God? What does it mean to live? So, let us just go and right, dive right into it. Pastor Andrew, last week he left talking about the blessing of Abraham, which he wrote and he mentioned that the blessing of Abraham is Jesus, the forgiveness of sin. The blessing of Abraham is righteousness in the sight of God. The blessing of Abraham, it's grace based on uh, a grace based relationship with God. The blessing of Abraham, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit changing you at the deepest level of your being, making you more like Jesus. How many of you want the blessing of Abraham? I sure do. I want to be blessed by the Lord. Okay, so let's get to it. First thing is that the Old Testament tells us that the law of Moses brings a curse. So I'm in chapter 3. Of the book of Galatians, verse 10. Now, I'm going to be referring to other scriptures. You don't have to turn there. They won't be on the screen. I want us to focus here on this couple of verses. So he continues having this conversation, or at least the, the readers are reading what Paul is writing. And in verse 10, he says, For many are, uh, are as for as many as are of the works of the law under are under the curse. <clears throat> For it is written, Curse is anyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. All right, so here Paul is just addressing who uh, those who thought that their low performance could give them this right standing with God. They just simply wanted this mechanical performance of good works. But their hearts were so far from God. He said, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. The Christians in the Jewish background believe that the Gentiles could not come close to God because they weren't able to follow the law of Moses taught that it was the only path to receiving the, the blessing of Abraham. But Paul boldly declared that anyone who is under this assumption is not receiving a blessing. Instead, they are under a curse. Now, it, it, before we blame them, it is easy for 
this Christian community, this Jewish, to believe because they read it all through the Old Testament. Psalms, you're, you're going to have to turn there, but Psalms 119.1 says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law, law of the Lord. Psalms 1, verse 1 and 2 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And it is in the law that he meditates day and night. Now we have to understand that the that how can the law bring us blessing? Well, first we have to know that the Bible mentions when he uses the word law, it comes in the in, in, in two senses in the Bible. One of them, of course, when they talk of and refer about the law, it is talking about the law of Moses and all its commandments and which people must obey in order for them to be approved by God. But Psalms 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. When it comes to the law, it's not just talking about the law of Moses. There are other times that the Bible refers to the law as the whole book, the whole entire Bible. Something that we meditate day on and day, all day long. It's not just the law of Moses. He is meaning that this is the work of of the Lord, the Word of God, completely the Word of God. So Paul is not saying that the Word of God is wrong. It is our instructional manual. How many of you say amen to that? See, there is a blessing when we do keep the whole Word of God as our instructional manual. Paul's not saying it is wrong. He's just saying that it was, it was not never intended to be the way for us to be approved by the Lord. You know, I love the illustration that uh, I believe was Pastor Andrew that gave that the law is like a mirror. The mirror is just simply points out our, def our defects and, and the things that are happening in our lives that we should change. The law points them out. The word of God points them out. But it doesn't save us. We have to take that action to receive and, uh, and acknowledge that there is something wrong in us called a sin, a sinful nature in, uh, in all of us. And make a change and make a difference. How many of you say amen? See, God knew that we could never keep the whole entire law. All we, we couldn't. So instead, he developed this system of an, an atonement, an atoning, a sacrifice. What is an atonement? Well, an atonement is, is, is to pay a penalty, to pay a price, to be redeemed. And so this whole system of the law of Moses, this whole system of the entire word of God looked forward to the day when Jesus Christ will come and be that bridge that will save our souls completely from, from eternal uh, damnation in hell. It is because of our sins. It is our sins. It is our sinful nature that brought us upon this curse. Deuteronomy 27 26, again, not on your screen, but says, Curse is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. And all of the people say, Amen. Have you ever wondered why it's so that we say Amen in the church? Back in the book of Deuteronomy, it's an agreement. It's just saying, Let it be so. And so they agreed. They agreed. When, when, when Moses declared this, they agreed. They said, Amen. But they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it, church. We couldn't do it either. The Old Testament is clear that it is all things that we have to follow and all the things that we, that we must do. And if not, we are under that curse. Here are two words that are important in this, in, 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 in this is that 
The word all and the word do. See, for in order for you to be approved by God, if you want to live under the law, you must first do it. And then not just simply know it, not just simply love it or, or teach it, not just simply want it. You must do it. Look at your neighbor and tell him you must do it. And not only you must do it, you know, this is where Nike got its, got its brand from, just do it. <laughs> not only just doing a church, but you have to do it all. Not some. Did you like that voice crack? Oh, okay. Not some. Not just when you are 18 and between the ages of 18 and 40. Not just when, you know, a little bit more good and not so much bad. No, Deuteronomy 27 was clear. If you don't do it all, you're under this curse. And guess what, church? All means a lot. All means a lot. I know that sometimes it seems that there are some, you know, some sins in our lives that, that, that look worse than others. But in the, in the eyes of the Lord, there's no such thing as a small sin. Sin is sin. Think about it. There are no bigger pun. Well, in case you didn't know. In case you didn't know, this, this, this might be a surprise. I'm sorry. This might be a surprise to some of you, but there are no sin categories. You're not punished according to what kind of sin you, you, you just did. No, sin is sin in the eyes of the Lord. And, and see, here's the thing that, that the Jewish religious people in the law, the study of the law, they overlook small transgressions. But Paul would not. He didn't. I don't know how many of you ever heard someone said, but at least I didn't kill someone. I don't know how many of you have ever, have ever heard someone say, well, at least I didn't get too drunk to go home and hurt my family. Church, sin is a sin, no matter how big, no matter how small. Did you know that there's no printed scripture in Hebrew there's no printed, there's not a printed copy of the Hebrew Bible that preserves the Hebrew word C-O-L, kol, which means all that is found in Deuteronomy 27. St. Jerome, he's, he's, he's particularly known for his Latin translation of the Bible, uh, is considered a doctor of the church. Uh, he says that the Jews suppress this word, all lest it should appear that they were bound to perform all things that were written in the books of the law. Now, again, before you go and point fingers, we have the same problem. We like to put certain verses on our refrigerator. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But the scripture is about carrying our cross and following the Lord. Nah, no, those are for somebody else. The word of God is all or nothing. With God, everything. Without God, nothing. Have you seen the banners? That's something that our, our pastor, Evelina, just the, the birth in his heart. That's our, that's our theme for this year. With God, with God, everything. But without God, church, nothing, nothing. And it is tough to follow all of it. It is hard. It is difficult to be under this, this law. Jesus in the New Testament, in case some of you are saying, well, that was just the Old Testament. But Jesus in the New Testament, he said in Matthew 5, 27, again, not on your screen, but just listen. It says, Jesus speaking, he said, have you heard that it is said of those of old, you should not commit adultery? That's a law. 
It's in the law of Moses. But then Jesus comes in in verse 28. Many of us stop there, but Jesus comes in and he says, But I said unto you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Gentlemen, how many of us would already be disqualified from entering heaven? It's just a complete, it's hard, it's difficult. Cursed is everyone. See, Paul's point is heavy. I can feel it in this room already. It is heavy. It is not a, a typical Sunday morning that you come to a church service and we're talking about the curse of the Lord upon us. It is heavy. It weighs us down. And it should. It should. It should weigh us down every single day of our lives. That we are under this need of a Savior and his name is Jesus Christ. If you haven't gotten the point of the book of Galatians, is that you and I cannot be saved on our own efforts. We can only be saved by the mercy and the grace of our God. That is the only way you can be saved. It is not by our own works. It is not by anything that we should boast. Instead, it is by the power of the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Curses everyone. Paul's point is heavy. Can you imagine as people are reading this? Conviction upon their hearts or simply ridiculing Paul, the messenger. They have a choice and you have one too this morning. See, if you're under the works of the law, the only way that you can be approved by God, it is if you follow everything and you do it. And if you don't, you're cursed. Now, the word cursed is such a strange word. Such a strange word. It's such a, a, a weird word to our, to our ears. And I'm not talking about bad words. It's not what I'm talking about. You, you see, in the Bible, it is a frightened word, frightening word, because it means being cursed by God. It is bringing his wrath upon us. It is, our, it is not because it is not just because our own bad choice. It's not just because of our own wickedness in the world or because we are cursed by the devil. We can't compare any of that. It is a different kind of curse. One that you and I do not want to be on that path. We do not want to be on the path of the wrath of the Lord. No, look at your neighbor and tell him, no, 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 no. He don't want to be on that path. Young man, young lady, if you're sitting here, you're thinking that's for adults. No, it's also for every single one of us. You don't want to be on that path. He is the one person you don't want to be cursed by. But praise be to God for scriptures like Romans 5.1 that says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody said amen in the house of the Lord. Amen. So we know that the Old Testament shows us that we live under a curse. The Old Testament shows us that the right standing before God comes by faith and not by the law. It comes by faith. Verse 11 says, but no one is justified by the law in the sight of God. No one, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Can we all say that together? For the just shall live by faith. See, Paul had already proven his point, And Pastor Andrew mentioned about this, about the life of Abraham. But now... He is proving his point by using the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. 
which reminds us that we live by faith. And this is what it says. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright with him, but the just shall live by his faith. Somebody say amen. See, this brief statement was so important, church. It is repeated a couple of times in the New Testament. Being under the law isn't the way to be justified by God. Only living by faith is. If we are found to be just, and to be just means to be approved before God is not by our works. It is by our faith in Jesus Christ. You see, if your life is all about living under the law, then God does not find you approved. Because it is hard and impossible for you to follow every single thing. When you stand before him, and we will, whether you believe it or not, we will stand before him. And I keep telling young people this, and I'll keep telling all of you here. If we die, and we die and nothing happens, so be it. But let us not live a life as if we do not believe that there's a heaven and a hell. And then when you die, and it is all real, it is all real which I wholeheartedly believe, it would be too late for us to say, Oh, man, let me try that again. I'd much rather live this life that I love living this life. Anybody else loves living this life with Jesus? Anybody else? You know what I mean? It's just, it re it, it, we still have struggles. We still have headaches. We still have pain. We still have sorrows. But we're not alone. There's God with us on our side. See, when we stand before him, we won't have a list of the do's and don'ts. We won't have the list of what we did or didn't do. We'll stand there in faith, knowing that we believe and we accepted Jesus Christ in our hearts. And we've made new and forgiven of our sins. The, sh the just shall live by faith. It is repeated in Romans 1.17. It is repeated in Hebrews 10.38. It is repeated here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. Hebrews 10, 38. Let me read it to you. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Romans 1, 17, 4. In, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith, not by sight. That's why everything that we look and see around us, we know that it is a temporary measure. It's a temporary moment is a season he says now, now i know we live in texas i know that our seasons are weird i know that we just see hot warm and extremely hot and occasionally we happen to see something called ice you know and snow nobody knows how to drive in it so we close everything pretty much and i know it's different but it's a season look at your neighbor and tell me it's a season what you're going through we got to continue living by faith. The just live by faith. The Old Testament tells us that the approval of God through the law must be earned actually by living in obedience of the law and not just trying. Verse 12 says, yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. See, here's what people said, and I've said this before as well. God would look at my performance, my efforts, and my good intentions and credit me for righteousness. I've said this before. The important thing is that I'm really trying. 
But Paul uses the Old Testament to prove that our works are just simply not good enough. It is just not good enough. It's just not. No path for the approval of the lower goes through the law. Law and faith don't run together because the law is not faith. The man who does them shall live by them. See, the quote is from Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5, and it is clear. If you want to live by the law, you must do it and you must do it all. It is very easy to just simply com uh, comfort ourselves with our good intentions. Well, it's just the good intentions that I have. We all mean very well. But we all find our place before God that our works under the law and the good intentions are just never enough. They're never enough. A good effort isn't good enough. So it's been heavy. It has been heavy. Uh, verse Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 and 12. It's heavy. It's heavy. It's heavy. It, it is a heavy conversation to have. I, I can just imagine the people as they re read, as they were reading, and then they passed on the letter and they were reading it. It was just a heavy conversation. It, it is a heavy topic. I mean, Paul's use of this scripture is just simply overwhelming. We understand that we actually. We don't do the law. And if we try, we, we are understanding that we don't actually do it all. We understand that this, because we are not doing it all, because we are not uh, abiding by it, we're, we're failing at it, we are under a curse. But Paul doesn't leave them there, which is what I love about how he proves the point, he brings the message, but he doesn't just drop the mic and leaves. But instead, now after he has given point A, point B, point C, use Old Testament scripture, which they were very, 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 they, they knew very well. They studied the word of God in the synagogues. That's what they did on a weekly basis, open the scrolls and read through the prophets and read through the books. This was what they studied day in and day out. So they knew this. They knew of it. So now that it sits heavy in your heart, in their heart, just like anyone here bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to all of us, we first bring in the point that we are a messed up generation. Every single one of us, we are lost without Jesus Christ. And you feel that conviction of your heart or you begin to analyze your life and you begin to say, yeah, yeah, I am. Well, now Paul brings in the good news that Jesus redeems us from the curse of the law. Praise be to God. Let Paul prove it to you. Verse 13 Chapter 3, verse 13. So after they had just read, they're, they're under a curse. We're not following the law, following, following completely. I have good news for you, region of Galatia. I have good news for you, churches of Galatia. I have good news for you to anyone who's reading this letter. I have good news for you. Emmanuel Worship Center, I have good news for you. Those of you watching, I have good news 
for you. And it's found in verse 13 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Somebody say amen. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Having become a curse for us. For it is written that any curse is everyone who, hang, who hung, hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus as us. Who don't come from a Jewish background. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit of God. Through what? Church? Through faith. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you are redeemed because of Jesus. See, because we didn't actually do it all, the law put us under a curse. But now Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Can you imagine if we lived in Old Testament times right now? Just imagine the amount of sacrifice after sacrifice of actual living animal sacrifice that you have to do. I was telling the young people on, on Wednesday that one of the things that in order for your sins to be atoned, the payment for your sins, was that the high priest would need to go into the Holy of Holies once a year to bring a sacrifice the perfect lamb, an actual lamb, I'm not talking about the, the uh, representation of Christ, but an actual lamb. It had to be spotless. It had to be clean. It had to be sacrificed and its blood sprinkled upon the altar. It's a lot of amazing things if you're ever a historian or history. Just incredible. But one of the things that the temple of God had different levels or different parts of the room. Just imagine Emmanuel Worship Center and you come in. You were not allowed to go into the temple. You were allowed to be outside in, the court, in its courts. But only a certain amount of people, a certain people that served in the temple could actually take part of this. And only the high priest had access into what they call the holy of holies. So I want you to picture it with me. We are all outside. Praise God for air condition. Now let me just say, I was, I was thinking about all of us actually going outside, but then it started to rain, and then I'm sure a lot of you will send me mean texts and, uh, and uh, emails about I did my hair. But just imagine that the only one who could enter into the temple was the senior pastor. And he had to live a perfect life every single day of his life because there, that day came where he had to make atonement sacrifice for the sins of the people. And he had to wear certain things. He had to wear certain, uh, a certain outfit and certain things that, that were symbols. And, and he also had to wear something that was very interesting. He had to wear a little bell. And this little bell make noise as he would go into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was physically there. We're not talking about, you know, this analogy or this assumption that some spook. No, the presence 
of God was there. Church, where the presence of God is, sin cannot abide. So he has to wear this belt and he has to wear this rope around him where us, the associate pastors, would have to hold on to it. And as long as that bell was being heard, we knew that our senior pastor, the high priest, was okay. And that God had accepted the gift. Because whenever the bell stopped ringing, we would have to drag his body out. You don't play with God. Sin is sin. And sin cannot abide in the presence of our Father. Just imagine, we couldn't live that life. So Jesus built this system of sending his Son, Jesus Christ, to become the final and the ultimate payment for your sins and for mine. He was the ultimate Lamb of God, spotless, no sin whatsoever. And he was a sacrifice. His blood was sprinkled upon the altar for the very last time. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but when Jesus Christ died, there was this earthquake. The Bible said there was this earthquake. It was around noontime, if I'm not mistaken. The sun was out, but around noontime, there was this uh, a solar eclipse or, or the cloud, whatever it might have happened. The Bible just talks about the darkness ruled over the land and the earth shook. And I don't know if you caught this, but at the temple, there was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies. And it was torn, giving you and me full access into the very presence of God. The very presence of God. Now, before anyone says, well, it was probably somebody in the it was probably the high priest just trying to hold on. And he ripped from the bottom. Now, the Bible says that he ripped from the top down in my opinion and this is just me i believe that it was the lord just simply ripping that veil apart and saying you are welcome into the presence of god you are welcome to come in anytime come on somebody say amen i have full access into the presence of our god thank you jesus that you pay the price and i didn't have to bring a bull or doves, or an actual lamb. Can you imagine? Now, yesterday, the gentleman, the man of the house, we ate all the sacrifice. So I'm sorry about that. We just, we ate those ribs and we ate the brisket. So it's gone. Church, you have full access to the presence of God now. You have full access. And, and, and see, we feel that Little by little, we're forgetting that we have access to the Lord and that only certain people have access to the Lord. No, no, no. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of you. Now, the question is, do you receive it? Do you believe it? Or do you live a life as if you are still waiting for somebody else to pay the price or do the things that you are called to do? You have full access. It is because not of what you did, 
not because of what you are doing or not and not because of what you're going to continue to do you have full access into the presence of god because jesus christ became a curse for you in your place and in mine he didn't become a curse because he himself was a sinner no he became a curse because church we were sinners and he took our place he took our place look at your neighbor and tell him he took our place he took our place. Can I, put, can I just put it in simple, ter simple terms? Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Redeem has this idea of buying back or purchasing out. It is not just rescuing. It is paying the price for the rescue. Jesus bought us from out, out from the curse of the law. Simply put, in Jesus, we aren't cursed anymore. Somebody said, praise be to the Lord. Amen. Somebody say, hallelujah. Somebody say, praise the Lord. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come up. Let me finish with this. Redemption is an important idea. Redemption came from practices of ancient warfare. After a battle, the victors would often camp capture some of the defeated. Among the defeated, there were poor, uh, poor individuals who usually were sold as slaves. But the wealthy and the important, the men and the women who matter to their country, were held to ransom. When the people in their homeland had raised the required price, they would pay it to the victors. And the captives will be set free. The process was called a redemption. The price was called a ransom. The image took place in several areas. I want you to listen to this. This is, this is pretty cool. When a slave had his freedom purchased, perhaps by a relative, <clears throat> perhaps by an, it's, you know, it's, his own diligent work, uh, or, or, or you know, what he was saving, this was called redemption. And sometimes the transaction of this ransom was, took place at a temple. <clears throat> and, and this transaction was actually carved in the wall. So everyone would forever know that this former slave was now redeemed. He was a free man. Oh, okay, okay. Let me, let me, let me just... Okay, if a man was condemned to die, someone came and pray, pay the price. That was redemption. And oftentimes this was carved in the temple so that everyone could see that this once, you know, slave or condemned to die man was now a free individual. Can I tell you something? I know we can't write on these walls, but if we could, we would write our names on here so that everyone who walks through these walls can know that Irving Peralta was once a slave to sin. But because of the pay payment of Jesus Christ for my sins, I am free. Oh, hey, by the way, we don't need to write your name on a wall. Your name is written in the book of life. So that forever, 
Everyone would know. And guess who else knows that you are a free man and a free woman? The devil himself. I would ever try to get you to wonder if it's real. And it is. Most importantly, church, Jesus bought us, bought out of defeat. Jesus bought, brought us out of defeat, excuse me, out of slavery, out of death, of this death sentence, to reign as kings and priests with him forever. This explains what Jesus came. He paid the price. He took our place. He took your place. He took mine. And you know what, church? He did not deserve to be hung on a tree. He didn't. He didn't do anything. But he took your place. You who were a sinner. I who was a sinner. And he died this sinful death. This death for our transgressions. The Bible says, curse is anyone who's, who hunks on a tree. Do you remember when Jesus was in that garden? And he could feel the pain and the pressure and the sins of the world. And he looked at his father in agony. And he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? That is, that is the worst feeling. Because Jesus, all of eternity, have always known how close and what it is to feel to have our Heavenly Father right there. But the curses of God's absence from our lives is the more, most horrible, terrible thing that could ever happen. And Jesus felt it. But you know what, church? It would have been enough for Jesus to simply just take the curse away from us. The curse that we deserve. We take it away. And that's it. It would have been enough. But you know what? He not only take the curse from us, he also provided the blessing that we didn't deserve. Yes, he did. The blessing of Abraham that Pastor Andrew spoke about that we read here in the, the, at the very beginning. Paul already described it in, in chapter 3, verse 8 and 9 tells us the blessing of Abraham comes to anyone who receives this gift. Receives the gift. And it is only found in Christ Jesus. It's not who you are. It's not what you did. The promise is received. It is not earned. It is not earned. Would you stand with your feet to your feet this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that this is not based upon based upon my own merits and my own trophies and banners and titles. I am saved by grace. I am saved because of your love for us. Period. And I'm grateful for the opportunity have full access to your presence. Thank you for your blessing. 